I would simply say that, you know, having both of us having been prior athletes, um, you realize that the championship games or the big shot or those big moments are, you know, they are microcosms of the complete experience, right? So, you know, if I look back at my time playing sports, you know, there's probably five or six moments that stick out. But to have those five or six moments, there's hundreds of thousands of hours that go in that aren't fun, that are largely, you know, painful, right? Like the waking up at 4 a.m. and doing running and dieting and lifting and all these other things. So when you, I think the thing that Ali and I really realized is, is that if you apply that to building a company, right, um, there's only these, there's a few moments where, you know, you get the raise or, you know, if we're fortunate, you go public, some of these big keynotes, but there's lots and lots of pain and tough, um, you know, days in between those, right, that make up that time. And if it's just all about those peak moments, you know, um, you'll fall apart, right? Because there's not enough of them to, to really be glue. So this is a long drawn out way of saying that we just realized that, and I realized I needed a partner that was not only just smart, capable, and hardworking, but would love the process and not necessarily look for standing on a stage to get the trophy because that trophy always gets a, a foot out of your reach the further you go, um, but really just loved building and the discipline and the relationships in uh, building teams that are aligned to do something special. This is Found in the Rockies, a podcast about the startup ecosystem in the Rocky Mountain region, featuring the founders, funders, and contributors, and most importantly, the stories of what they're building. I'm Les Craig from Next Frontier Capital. On today's episode, we are excited to share a powerful story of two founders who are on a bold mission to dent the universe by pioneering housing as a benefit. Meet Jarek Murray and Allie Hollowin, who are the co-founders of Anum. I'm so excited to have you both on the show today. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. So I'd love to begin. This is a, this is a hot topic right now. So our listeners are going to be uh, really excited. We're talking about affordable housing for people oh, yeah. uh, and employees of uh, <laughs> companies and a really cool tech solution uh, that is uh, that is has this massive vision to to solve that problem. Before we get into Anum, though, I want to hear a little bit about both of you. I just want to hear a little bit about your background stories, kind of where you grew up. And then ultimately leading uh, to how you met and where this idea came from. So, Allie, do you want to start off? Take us, take it away. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so I, I actually am living out in Bozeman, um, and I grew up in Ashland, Oregon, a small little town in Southern Oregon. Um, and out there, was raised by an entrepreneur. Uh, my parents started a tech company out of our garage in the '90s, and um, was actually very disruptive. Uh, organization or company where we essentially brought uh, electronic claims processing to healthcare and um, kind of changed the entire space. So I watched that girl out of our garage. I was, you know, the joke was when I was really little, I was, you know, the voice recording on the answering service, you know, uh, which was fun. 
And you um, actually I'm, were. You actually were oh, yeah. in the. Oh yeah. Nice. Oh yeah. It was like the Plexus World headquarters or something like that. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, and so yeah, I watched. I watched that. I always tell people, you know, kind of felt like another sibling. I spent a lot of time there. If I wasn't playing soccer or at school, I was. Um, I was at at Plexus working, and um, but I saw what it took. Saw what our family, the sacrifices we had to make. Um, I remember right after 9-11, um, our investors had pulled out of the company and um, my dad and mom stood up in front of everybody crying, essentially, and said, you know, we can't pay you, and um, but we've got obligations. If you need to leave, leave. And um, we ate rice and steamed vegetables for a few months and um, everyone stayed and worked. Wow. And... Uh, made it through. And so, you know, going through those experiences and feeling, you know, really that connection of an organization um, has always put me on this dreamer's path of, of doing something like this as well. Amazing. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. I got to tell you, we've, a lot of the founders we've had on the episode this season have shared a similar kind of background and upbringing, whether it was through their own experiences or through their parents, but like the hardships of, of entrepreneurship, it's not always, it's not always as glamorous as uh, Shark Tank makes it out to be. No, never. No, not never. Never. <laughs> you know, it's like the joke here in Bozeman about everything we all like to do, like running up mountains and, you know, the crazy stuff is type two fun, you know, and I really kind of relate doing a startup as something really similar where you're, you know, you're in the trenches and some days are just painful, but you're ultimately, you know, at the end of the day, it's like that was rewarding. That was fun. That's awesome. Yeah. Thanks for sharing sure. that. Jarek, what about you? Where'd, where'd you grow up? Yeah, so a little bit of everywhere. Um, born in Oakland, California. And, um, you know, pretty much until I was 26, you know, lived, um, you know, only stayed three years in any place. Right? And many people thought, oh, you know, um, your family must be in the military. But, you know, we were looking <laughs> for, it was like the direct opposite of that. We were simply, you know, looking for opportunity. Right. And um, a lot of that was tied to, you know, the inception of Anum around housing. Um, so, I mean, I lived everywhere from, you know, New Hampshire, Alabama, you know, Texas, Atlanta, Illinois. Um, and, um, you know, really just, you know, had me and my sisters and brothers to, uh, you know, build that community. Right. So because of that lack of, you know, community at a young age, more or less, I just, you know, really jumped into, you know, one of my other talents, art, and, um, you know, found a passion for entrepreneurship pretty early, you know, uh, you know, drawing comic books, selling them at school, uh, fun story. My mom once saw a whole bunch of money in my top drawer. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm in like the third or fourth grade. Right. Um, so uh -oh. I, I may have had like 30 bucks. All right. And you know, third or fourth grade, 30 bucks, you feel like, um, you have a billion dollars. Exactly. Yeah. I can buy all the candy I want. Um, but my mom saw this in my top drawer and was like, you know, where did you get all this money from? And I was like, oh, you know, other kids, you know, they're I'm, I'm selling these comics, um, you know, for their lunch money. And she was like, what comics? And, you know, I pulled out, you know, a bunch of loose leaf paper, um, you know, lined paper. And I had my sisters and brothers basically on the assembly line. So I was drawing them and then they were like stapling them together. <laughs> And uh, I was taking them to school, you know, schlepping these things, uh, you know, making two or three bucks a pop. So, 
That was really my first, yeah, foray into (laughs) entrepreneurship. Do you still have any of those? I mean, what a relic. That'd be so cool to have. Yeah, you know, it's funny. My mom does. She has it. Like, my mom's one of those people that have a keepsake, right? Like, after moving around a whole bunch, like, she always just, like, saved, like, a box of, like, the most, you know, important things. So I actually still have that, uh, which is pretty funny. Or she has it. Um, but yeah, I mean, that really just grew the love of building things from scratch, you know, being creative and, you know, did all the other stuff, you know, paper route, cutting grass, you know, um, trying to, uh, you know, sell lemonade, all kinds of stuff, but oh, even yeah. beyond the usual, that, the usual, exactly. yeah. the usual, the usual kind of, you know, quick things, but, you know, selling baseball cards, basketball cards. And, um, I also had popular mechanics magazines. So I, I'd always love to read, you know, what, you know, flying cars and the newest electronics and engineering of the day. Um, So it just fostered a level of creativity as I was moving around the country. And, you know, lo and behold, all those moves just made me extremely curious about, you know, that nurture versus nature, um, you know, dynamic. And I got extremely curious about real estate and property and how that could, you know, impact one's livelihood. So got into real estate, um, you know, relatively early. Uh, Fortunately, I had a great uncle that was, you know, um, phenomenal at it. And he said, hey, you don't want to be an architect. You want to be a developer. And, um, you know, was that was that kind of the initial uh, idea that you had, like from art to architecture? Yeah. And then he said, no, 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 no. Let's take it. Let's take it all the way. Take it. one." Yeah. Second. Yeah. So yeah. for all my architecture buddies out there, I love you guys. But, you know, he was like, <laughs> hey, man, you know, you want to control your projects. Uh, you don't want to be an architect. Uh, you should be a developer. Um, and lo and behold, I had a knack for it. So Great. Um, that really started the, you know, the foray into real estate and attempting to solve housing a bunch of different ways. Very cool. And you, so eventually though, you're in Oregon now, you eventually Correct. landed in Oregon. How, what, yeah. what, what part of the trajectory got you to kind of like fa- finally plant some roots? Yeah. Um, man, I'm trying to make a long story short, but, um, you know, fell in love with a girl, um, that's, uh, you know, from here and, you know, eventually became uh, my wife. Um, but I was playing basketball in Europe professionally. And while doing that, you know, the real estate bug was taking over. So I had lots of downtime. So I was doing, I was interning actually with Portugal Best Properties there during the great financial crisis, you know, doing workouts and trying to help uh, the owner of our team who owned the company, um, you know, sell off assets that were, you know, just riddled with toxic debt. Um, And then that's where I was like, wow, this is not just a, you know, site by site game. This is a massive industry, like, you know, a global industry that, you know, huge Titans play in. So long story short, I come back, go to Georgetown for grad school, um, graduate from grad school, doing real estate, looked around and saw all these major metropolitan areas as being more of the same. Um, And we decided to, we said, hey, let's bet on ourselves, go back to, you know, small town, Southern Oregon and build something. Um, and that's what we did. 
Jerk, I want I almost want to keep poking at this story because <laughs> Yeah, there's like, a lot there. The facets of this crystal just start getting more and more complex. I mean, I'm ready for you to tell me like you went to Juilliard and played as a concert pianist or something next. Uh, but I, we won't go there. Very likely. Yeah. It's very likely. I mean, you played professional semi-pro basketball and advising the owner of the team on how to sell off assets? Yeah, what? you have to find opportunity where you can. What? Were so. you are you the point guard, what forward? What are you, no, so I'm 6'6", 240, okay. so I was a, you know, forward, you know, okay. guard kind of, you know, uh, player, so. I'm going to make yeah. a claim. You've got to be the only forward I've ever I've ever heard of who's advising the owner of the team on real estate asset sales. That's incredible. That's so to date, cool. po- possibly. To date. Yeah. All right, all right. Let's put it in our pitch deck, Derek. I think that's a really good <laughs> yeah. <put> in there. <laughs> what, a, what a renaissance, man. Incredible. So, sure. uh, so. So through this all, so you finally get back to Oregon. How did how did you and Allie meet then? What's Allie? What's that story? Yeah, actually, um, his uh, wife and I went to high school together. So um, yeah, we were friends in high school. There's a actually a funny story of where I really kind of connected with Jessica was uh, there used to be a 6 a.m. weightlifting class at our high school that only the male varsity athletes could attend, and I was like, no, this is stupid. So I sat out in front of the weight room every morning for a semester to make sure to get in there and eventually just started working out in there. The next term, like, fine, okay, you can get a credit for being here. So then they opened it up to all female athletes after that, uh, varsity athletes, and Jessica came in the next term. And so we were working out like we were, uh, her and one of her good friends, Lindsay, the three of us were, I think, and one other gal, Alex. We were the four girls in the entire class um, and, you know, kind of like that, that team. So we had a lot of fun with that. Um, That was, and then after that, you know, go our separate ways. And, you know, at the time we were that generation of when Facebook had just started up. And so we luckily were able to kind of stay connected and um, went and did our lives and moved all over and whatnot and stayed connected that way. And, um, one day when we were, my husband and I were back in Southern Oregon, um, I was standing there holding my, um, infant son who's six now, and we have an eight year old and I'm looking out my window and I see Jessica and Jarek walking right by our house. And I was like, what? and their daughter was there and he's the same age as our, our eight year old. And she's carrying, or Jarek, one of them was carrying their infant. And so our two sons were a week apart and we were a block away from each other. And so we just kind of became each other's like, hey, it's been a crazy day. Let's get some pizza on a Thursday night. Like, what are we doing here? What is this like? We're both working, all four of us, and we've got two kids. Chaos, right? And shared in that. Um, And when we made the big move back to Bozeman to be with uh, close to my husband's family, Jessica and Derek were some of the hardest people to say goodbye to. And... Mm. um, we've just stayed connected since Derek and I have always kind of leaned on each other with, with our careers in general and, and same with Jessica and, and, you know, obviously with my husband, Chris, but Derek and I just kind of always connected about what was going on in our life with work and um, in our life in general. And we yeah. stayed connected that way. And yeah. 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 And you know, what, what, kind of that the inflection point for Anim, I would say is, you know, I was, you know, running the real estate department for Fortune 250. Um, you know, they had a $4 billion real estate portfolio, you know, we're doing massive transactions during, you know, the COVID crisis. Um, 
as everyone remembers, the markets were just all over the place. And what I started to realize is, you know, here's this titan of industry struggling to keep people, you know, um, aligned, right? You know, uh, the turnover was crazy. And uh, the company was saying like, hey, you know, how do we do this? And I'm talking with the HR team and they're saying it's housing, it's housing, it's housing. And, you know, my past experience of working in affordable housing, you know, low income housing tax credits, I realized that there was a way businesses could participate uh, in this challenge. And then with the advent of, you know, SaaS and marketplace software, there was a solution that could be scaled. So, you know, I start going down the rabbit hole a little bit, quit my job, start building, you know, doing a whole bunch of work with lawyers and understanding the, the ramifications of this. And I come to the conclusion that this is not a real estate problem, um, but really a personnel HR problem. And the second I came to that conclusion, I was like, Ali, <laughs> I need to speak with Ali, you know? Um, that's right. Because that's, that's Ali, that's your back. You, we didn't even yeah. get into that part of the story, Ali, but that's your, that's your background, right? That's your experience. Yeah. I've spent um, a lot of my career in HR, from all the way from generalists, you know, through, you know, executive HR management and, um, and then on that, you know, healthcare benefits side, HR relations. So yeah, that's where I've spent um, most of my career in general. Yep. Very yes. cool. And, and Jarek, what, so tell me about, I, this is a really, this is a really cool theme. I think like almost the epitome of a founder relationship and trust story. Right. Because yeah. like a lot of times you'll find founders that are have incredible careers, have incredible paths, incredible technologists, whatnot. And then it's like, how do I find my co-founder? How? Yeah, it's like it's, it's this age old question for for the two of you. It seems like it was just this very both serendipitous, but also natural progression. I'd love to hear from both of your perspectives. Like talk to me about the importance of this founder relationship and why it's why it's so instrumental from, you know, from your point of view. Yeah, I mean, I would simply say that, you know, having both of us having been prior athletes, um, you realize that the championship games or the big shot or those big moments are, you know, they are microcosms of the complete experience, right? So, you know, if I look back at my time playing sports, you know, there's probably five or six moments that stick out. But to have those five or six moments, there's hundreds of thousands of hours that go in that aren't fun, that are largely, you know, painful, right? Like the waking up at 4 a.m. and doing running and dieting and lifting and all these other things. So when you I think the thing that Ali and I really realized is, is that if you apply that to building a company, right, um, there's only these there's a few moments where, you know, you get the raise or, you know, if we're fortunate, you go public, some of these big keynotes, but there's lots and lots of pain and tough, um, you know, days in between those, right, that make up that time. And if it's just all about those peak moments, you know, um, you'll fall apart, right, because there's not enough of them to, to really be glue. So this is a long drawn out way of saying that we just realized that and I realized I needed a partner that was not only just smart, capable and hardworking, but would love the process mm -hmm. and not necessarily look for standing on a stage to get the trophy because that trophy always gets a, a foot out of your reach the further you go, um, but really just loved building 
and the discipline and the relationships in uh, building teams that are aligned to do something special. Uh, such a great, such a great takeaway and theme. You know, it's like I've, I've seen, I'm a big fan of like, I watched the, I'm not a big fan of Tom Brady, but I watched the Brady thing on ESPN. <laughs> Let's be I, clear, I almost right? said I'm a big, I almost said I'm a big Tom Brady fan. No, no, no. I'm a Steelers fan. I, almost, I don't like Tom I Brady. I almost left the, the cap. I know, right? <laughs> but like, that is, that is something that he says. That's something that Michael Jordan says in like, like the most, the most, the, arguably some of the goats of, of, of a generation of our time or of all time. Like they always, they always go back to that principle. I've never heard a founder go to that principle, but I love it as a founder fundamental. Yeah. The work and the process yeah. and for the, for the, you know, for the one or two standout moments, but that's not why it's, it's because of the, I love it. I'm so glad you highlighted that. Um, mm -hmm. Allie, what about you? What about, what are your thoughts on this? The importance of that founder relationship? Yeah, there's, um, it's, it's a really, you know, you read it everywhere. You'll see, you know, top five things for, you know, startups or whatnot, like find your co-founder. It's always in that top five, if not number one. Um, and, you know, someone you can trust. And the biggest thing that I think is, is just really important is being able and willing to have those tough conversations. Right. And we have gone through, you know, it's, going to be a year kind of year in, in a few months that we've been just like knee deep in this thing together. And there are times where it's been really, really tough where, you know, I might be crying on the phone and just kind of, you know, or frustrated or whatnot. And it's like, you know, you stay on that call, you get through it. Or if there's feedback for each other, you give it right. Because that stuff adds up. You know, and you see this all the time. You'll see it in movies or in shows or you hear these stories. And I watched it just growing up with my my family's company, watching this type of stuff happen where, you know, all of a sudden someone kind of explodes and leaves. And it's like, you know, for years you've done X, Y, and Z. And it's like, well, why didn't you tell me? You know, we could have worked through that. And it's one of the scariest things I think in life in general is to have those tough conversations with anyone, with your spouse, with your friends, anybody. Um, but Derek and I aren't afraid of that. We have them and they come from a place of like love and care and, and just the overall vision, like what we're doing with Anum, like we want to change the world. You can't change the world by shying away from hard things. And so we just, we know that we, we believe it, we live it, we breathe it. And so, and I just, I knew that with Jarek, that we could have those conversations um, and that we could get through those moments and work through them. And it's kind of like a, you know, building a muscle. You do it a few times, you're a little nervous, a little sore, whatnot, and you kind of like beat up and then you realize like we're better for it, you know? And so yeah. that's been something that's been really, really important and the work. I absolutely agree with Jarek on that one. Um, you know, I, I love running up mountains for as long as possible. It's just something that for me, it's not a type two fun. I enjoy every second of getting up that mountain. I slip and fall and, you know, whatever. And it's like, ah, it's great. You know, like, like, yeah, I just gashed my leg open. Yeah, yes, exactly. Yeah, like, just love it. And, uh, you know, and that's, it is. It's so similar to what we're doing here, you know, and it's those yeah. things that are hard. They're still super fun and you have to be willing to put that work in and having that history of, of training and doing that and, you know, wanting to be the best at whatever it is. And maybe you won't be a, the goat, 
but you're going to be the absolute best that you can. And knowing that you have that in you and Jarek has that and I have that and we just like, we thrive off of it. So. Man, this is why I love investing in athletes. Like, <laughs> loving this talk, having the tough conversations. Yeah. yeah. That's amazing. Good stuff. All right. So we, I interrupted, we were, Jarek was going down this, 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 uh, this, this path in the story, this thread in the story where he was talking about, like he reached out to Allie and what, what was that conversation like Jarek or what, what, how did it, how did it evolve? You, you had this idea. I mean, yeah. you, was this before you quit your job? I mean, working at a fortune two fifty. Yeah. Saying, you know what? Hanging up the spurs like that takes some bravery. Yeah. I mean, I was very fortunate to be in the position I was with that company. Um, it was a family health business that, you know, ended up becoming really big and becoming mm-hmm. publicly traded. And, um, you know, I quite frankly, you know, I could not get the idea out of my head. You know, I knew I had the skill set. I knew I had a unique uh, positioning and um, perspective on the market. And I just felt compelled to build this company. So, you know, I leave the company. I'm, you know, pretty much for the next six, seven months, just working on it, you know, just trying to figure out exactly, you know, the right, you know, chemistry. And as I said, when I came to the the conclusion that this was not a real estate issue, but really a people and, you know, incentive alignment issue, as we say, um, I knew Allie was the person. So I, you know, go to my wife, I said, you know, babe, like, this is what I'm thinking. Um, I'm thinking, and literally, as I'm saying, Allie, she's like, Allie, like, you should, <laughs> you should call Allie, right? So um, I basically call up Allie. And, um, you know, it was interesting, because it, maybe a lot of people haven't, you know, been in this situation. But um, you don't want to derail someone else's life, right? You're like, hey, this is an, <laughs> an idea that I have, right? Like, I think you it could be really cool, but I have no idea if this is going to work. Um, you don't want to derail their life unless you really, really love them. Yeah, yeah exactly, right? right. So I, I, you know, I call Allie and I'm just like, hey, like, this is what I'm thinking with housing as a benefit. And I know your background. And she's like, hmm. I think you could do it this way or this way, or, you know what, like, let me look at this. And, you know, she starts going into like technical healthcare, HR language that, and I'm just nodding my head like, yeah, yeah, that sounds, that sounds cool. Um, And she was like, you know, I'll get back to you and, you know, we'll figure this out. And I get off the phone and quite frankly, I felt a little down because I was like, like, oh, she's like jumping into it, but she's kind of like, I'll help you with your thing. But I'm like going on my path. Like I'm... Um, and that's how it felt, right? Um, oh, but the wow. next time, I've got a funny, I've got a funny counter to that, Jarek. But yeah, continue. That's interesting. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, this is yeah. so you're you're, you're getting it live here, uh, Les. This is this is uh, in the Rockies original. We've never yeah. shared this story back and forth. So there we go. Um, yeah. So you know, she ends up calling me back, and she's like, "Hey, you can totally do this. Here's how. I think we could do this, that, and the other." And then I start overlaying, well, this is how I see it from the real estate side. Can we structure it this way? And we just start riffing on it. And then after, I don't know, maybe 45 minutes, an hour, I'm just like, I need you to be a part of this company. Like, it would be great if you would be a part of this company. And she was just like, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, I can do that. 
Yeah. And I was just like, okay, is this kind of like the, you know, F you like, yeah, I can do that. Or is this like, the, like, like you're really on. And she was, you know, fully on board. So I, I'm interested to hear your side. How, how you yeah, we, are, this, Alec. we already heard the artist's version of the story. The <laughs> yeah, I want to hear, hear the alley's version. Yeah. Yeah. It was really, it was really interesting because when, when Jarek reached out and I just like, we we're just like spitballing, you know, and, and I get off that first call and I just was so down. I was so down, Jarek. I literally was like, Oh, I, I've been in this position my entire life. Like, I ran for student body president as a kindergartner and like, because I thought I, I thought I should. Right. And like, I never, I, you know, I've always been in these positions where it's like, yeah, let's pick your brain, but we actually don't want you. And like all like, and kind of like been this like very confident person that, you know, I'm, I'll put myself out there. I love helping people and just like, being, you know, I look at him like, I'm on this earth to do something to help people in whatever way, like, let's leave an impact. And so I'm like, I will, I will take Jarek's call every day. And I will help him through this every single day if he needs it. But I'm like, when am I going to get the call that like, we want you part of this, we want you like, not just what you know, but you. And it had been just like, it was like this gut punch of like, and it's not about a victim mentality. I'm not trying to play a victim, but that is kind of what I experienced, I think, since I was mm-hmm. a little kid. And then even working in my family's business, like all of it. And um, and then Jarek reached out to connect again. And I, I, I actually punted the call multiple times. And I was like, so busy. And which we are, but I was really busy at that time, apparently, uh, because I didn't want that feeling again. And I was like, but I need to take his call. Like, you, this is what you do, Allie. And so then I finally took that call. And then when he was like, I want you part of it. I'm like, well, there's no one else I would, I would, I would totally disrupt my life and like build something with like, yes, like, I love what you're doing. I believe in you. Like, we can do this thing. You're going to let me be Allie too. Like I am, I am, I am my own person. Right. And I like to be that human and I want to be in a safe environment to do that. And I know that Jarek and I combined being those people like, yeah, we're going to rock it, you know? So it was really interesting. And, and the funnier, a funny story I think is funnier is that, um, I told Jarek, I'm like, yeah, let's do this thing. And we're like talking about it, like talking, like, Someday, you know, once we're through, when we get funded, like what salaries might look like, whatever. So I don't really care. We'll figure it out. Like, and by no means were we in a financial position for me to be like, yeah, don't worry about it. We'll figure it out. Um, <laughs> and so then I tell my husband, I'm like, yeah, Jared brought this up. Like, sounds pretty cool. Um, and then a few days later, our friends were over and they're like, yeah, so, you know, what, what's the update? I was like, yeah, I'm like co-founding this, this thing with, with our buddy Jarek from Bedford. And my husband's like, you're what? Like you, you did it, like you took it. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, this is classic alley. Like you're, you're just, and, and he was so thrilled. And it's throughout really the entire experience, like there's been times when I'm like, do you want me to go work at the coffee shop? Like make some extra, whatever. And he's like, no, focus on Anum, focus on Anum, you know? And, wow. um, but yeah, so it's just, it's just an interesting to hear that we both felt sad after that first call. 
<laughs> I love it. I'll tell you, that's the first time I've ever gotten chills on an episode. That is, I just so thankful that you shared that story from both both angles. So good, so good. It's the first time I've heard the story too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so special. All right, so so then what? What happened? What is it? What, by the way, why don't we talk about that? What is yeah, it? Sure. What is Adam? <laughs> Jarek, you want to give it a shot? What problem? Yeah, I mean, yeah, the short of it is, is that, you know, we work with businesses to house their workforce at below market rates, you know, effectively providing housing as a benefit, right? Um, and, you know, what we've come to the conclusion is, is that, you know, housing is less of an issue of supply and one, as I said earlier, you know, incentive or interest alignment, right? You know, housing is highly idiosyncratic, you know? So on the other side of the scale, we, this should resonate well with everyone, you know, during COVID, right? So, you know, two rolls of toilet paper, there really is no like distinguishing factors between <laughs> them. So at the end of the day, and, and the return on investment, let's say, is so low yielding that like, you know, anything will generally do, right? Yeah. Uh, housing's on the complete other side of that, right? So you have, you know, financing, entitlement, which is just another word for politics, you know, construction, which is nothing more than organized chaos. All of these play in to creating this product. And, you know, when you start to look at, you know, basically the material constituents needed to create a home, it only really applies to a fragment of the population. Whereas, again, with toilet paper, you know, there is no like demographic, you know, uh, criteria, you know, um, some may say, oh, I'm extra fluffy or something like that. But they're they're trying to make differentiating factors around the, the edges with housing. It's completely different. Um, so, you know, we realized earlier on that if we partnered with companies, you know, that had, you know, quite frankly, are the best customers. You know, they have uh, one of the things we say is Jeff Bezos has a lot of money. Amazon has more you know, Jeff Bezos may need five homes, Amazon needs millions. And, you know, Jeff Bezos may live to be 200 or something, right? Uh, uh, Amazon is going to be around a lot longer, you know? So like when you, when we realize the incentives around businesses and even how they're represented within these communities, they're often, you know, uh, community leaders in a variety of ways. Um, that was the best way to align incentives where they could not only attract and retain the best workforce, but ultimately we can create a product and a, you know, a process that incentivizes the market, you know, developers, landlords, property managers to create more supply or inventory, right? And it becomes this kind of virtuous cycle um, where companies save money, employees save money, and then investors have risk uh, pretty much uh, reduced. So yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. Such a, such a novel idea and a unique model. Um, can you give us, uh, and Ali, maybe, maybe even Bozeman is a good example, uh, you know, where I'm at, where you're at, uh, but just kind of a case study of like how it would work or like some of the challenges or like, you know, you can change the makeup names of companies to protect the innocent or whatnot. But I mean, yeah. can you give us just an example of, of how it works in practice? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we've got multiple ways to deploy providing this for employers, right? And um, what we've really found is that being able to provide accessibility is, is the biggest hurdle and get, getting people into homes, right? And there will, you know, in Bozeman, we're seeing this, you, you've got 
people trying to get into a rental and they're applying to 10 different places at, you know, $50 application fees every single time. And they're already, you know, paying over 60% of their income towards rent. That money towards every application is, is incredibly expensive to them. And then they don't get in because they can't, because the demand is so high. Um, and so, you know, working with businesses here, we've really realized if we can solve for that right out of the gate to get people in homes to start, then being able to, to manage the affordability side of it can, can come along with it, right? Mm-hmm. So we met with a, a, a client yesterday that, you know, right away, they're like, okay, you know, we're, we'll place, you'll, we'll place your, your employees for a one-time placement fee that's like, you know, 650 bucks. And then, you know, every month after that, we will manage the relationship between the tenant and the landlord, everybody, you can use our platform, all of that for $45, you know, per month for every employee using, you only pay when you play. And so we're explaining mm-hmm. this to this employer here in town and they are just leading in the sense of finding talent, keeping talent and, um, and keeping their culture along with it. And it's, you know, then it's like, okay, once you're in that, then, you know, let's look at how can you be bringing in stipending to help out? How can you help bring down that cost for them? Um, but let's get them in homes first. And that approach has been really powerful because they just, a lot of people are actually turning jobs down. The affordability is a huge piece, but because you can't even find a place to live, you, mm-hmm. you physically can't show up. There, nothing else matters, right? And so in Bozeman, that's been a big component. And what we're seeing here is, you know, and we've talked about this last some that, you know, Montana in general is a low population. It's grown over the years, but it's grown relative to our smaller population. And then mm-hmm. we've had this larger influx, which feels massive when you're out here. But really, in, in reality, I think we like just hit a million people in Montana or something. Um, but, you know, you've had this influx and now the prices have gone up. The demand is even higher. And but then the services to, to maintain all of that are lagging to an extent. So by being able to build, have employers go through our platform to be able to get accessibility, then we're able to actually be able to help with services and support in a more streamlined fashion because they're Anim partners. And, you know, we're going to do, we're going to be able to streamline, you know, if, if we need to build more then they're building directly for Anim to, to manage the risk or, you know, maintenance and repairs are going to take place every other Thursday in this neighborhood, right? So now you've got your services are really scaled and managed because Mm. now the handyman doesn't have to drive all over Gallatin County, all over the Valley to, to get from one job to another, they get to go to one region and take care of those issues there. Right. So now you're, you're managing that issue too, and allowing for, we don't have to bring in a lot more people to be able to support, you just have to manage it yep. in, a, in a more exactly. manner. Multiple exactly. efficiencies of scale, yeah. Yeah, and, and what I would say is, is that, I mean, there's a bunch of different businesses, like, you know, so we have businesses that have 12 employees, we have businesses that we're mm-hmm. talking to that have 200, right? And what we offer is the opportunity through our platform to have an ownership stake, do a master lease and or, you know, structure a subsidy, right? And if you speak from a technical standpoint, you basically have a marketplace SaaS, right? Where HR benefits teams can structure, you know, their housing benefits, and then it's pushed to their employees, very similar 
to how it is in healthcare, where your employer isn't, you know, scheduling your you know, your next dental exam or anything <laughs> like that. And they don't want Thank to be. God. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And, and they don't want to be, you know. So we offer that same uh, yeah. you know, kind of, you know, frictionless service where they can structure it, push that to their employees. Their employees have that ready on their mobile devices and can search and find opportunities uh, that are all curated by, you know, Anum. And because of that flexibility, again, you know, some businesses want to buy, right? And we yep. can we can adjust that. So, and and I would, the last thing I would say is probably the biggest difference is typical market, you know, uh, fundamentals are supply demand oriented. Again, kind of getting back to our core thesis, when you apply that to housing, you just get price inflation. And this is why businesses uh, really struggle because they pay people more, but then they have to pay more. Those people have to pay more rent. You know, what, what we're doing is really trying to break this wheel of poverty by inserting businesses directly into the spokes of that wheel, thereby when, you know, businesses or excuse me, employees get paid more, you know, their rent doesn't have to go up and they can actually get ahead and they can become a part of the community. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, it creates an ecosystem where fundamentally everyone wins. Interesting. So ju just to highlight that, if I understood that correctly, what you're, what you're also suggesting is that this, this doesn't create a further housing crunch or crisis when like a company moves, moves to a place like Bozeman and sets up a new headquarters where suddenly now there's all these high paid people in the market trying to further compete, further drive up the housing, because this is a relief valve exactly. uh, of housing. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And, and the, the market, you know, again, real estate isn't an efficient market, so you can't operate using a lot of those fundamentals. But, you know, the idea is, is that by removing, quote unquote, some of these people from, you know, the supply demand, one person, one developer transaction, you actually get a more you get more equilibrium within the market. So if Google were to come to uh, Bozeman, you know, and say, hey, we're bringing 10,000 jobs there. Of course, they can negotiate a deal with a developer. One, don't, oh, okay, don't. that's happening. Have, no, 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 I'm teasing. <laughs> like, okay. have, I'm, I'm getting ready to leave the leave the recording booth, and there's going to be signs in people's yards. <laughs> well, yeah, they're at the, well, I'm in Oregon, so you know. No, <laughs> you just got to be no, careful what you say around Bozeman. Yeah, but no, yeah. I get it. It's a good so analogy. This isn't this uh, like service warning. You guys, this is simply you know, yes, an, an, an analogy. Yeah, an example. But, you know, a developer can talk with them and structure a deal one on one. Right. But what do you do about the taco shop? What do you do about the barber sure. shops? What do you do about, you know, the schools, the teachers? Right. What do you do about the fire department? What do you do about really the true workforce? Mm -hmm. So what we've done is aggregated those people and they can effectively have the impact of a Google. Right. Every town's existing workforce when kind of brought together actually has the power of a Google, if not greater. Right. So, but right now, again, individual incentives, individual goals, you know, flexibility on the workforce, not sure who's going to be, we solve all that by saying, Hey, come to our top of funnel, you know, use our platform. And then we can aim more or less to allow developers to build with less risk because now they have this liquid demand, that they can pull from, you know, at brilliant. any given moment. It's brilliant. Ali, what about from the HR side, mm -hmm. uh, you know, 
there's two two questions. One, like there was a time once upon a time where uh where medical benefits were not a thing, right? I mean, yeah. And this is this is really about taking a similar path with res- with respect to housing as a benefit and creating this sort of culture. Is there any friction there? Like like would HR professionals be like, "Oh my goodness, this is just a burden on us. This is this is too much to manage." Mm-hmm. Or like what is there any friction there or is this is there a relief there for That's interesting. Hiring yeah. Yeah, so I think that that, you know, looking at how healthcare benefits came to fruition was, you know, in the 40s and 1940s during the Anti-Inflation Act, during the war, um, employers were no longer allowed to raise salaries. And mm. but they needed to retain, they needed to recruit, they needed they, they needed the same things employers need today. Um, and at that time, Blue Cross had kind of come out and started this network effect with healthcare. And so rather than, you know, and some employers like your mines and whatnot and railroads had built little, you know, clinics and hospitals on site that ended up becoming extremely expensive, incredibly tedious. The mixing the employee health issues with the employer became a lot of other issues as well. So uh, it really became, let's give them access to healthcare. Let's give them cheaper access to healthcare. So that's where that, you know, health insurance came into employers. It was a negotiation tactic. The reason why healthcare at that time was the the bargaining chip is because people could afford to live in a home. And so if you look at it almost from like a Maslow's hierarchy, basic physiological needs, that's housing, right? That is, mm. you've got to have a roof over your head. At that time, if most of those employees could at least get into a roof and have something over their head, sure. um, th- they were able to. But healthcare was something that was, you know, kind of next on that hierarchy of needs. And so that's where that came in. Um, and now we're in a really similar time with inflation. And we're at a really similar kind of point of what happens next. Something has to change. And if you strip back every single layer, people can't afford to live. That's, mm-hmm. So now it's, you know, you can... Adding in the ping pong table and the wellness programs are super fun. Those are great. I don't care about a ping pong table if I'm about to default on my rent. Yeah. And my, I'm about to be evicted and my family has to figure out where we go next, right? But I have a roof over my head. Now I love the ping pong table. Like, that's sure. great. You know, it's fun. Yeah. Uh, give me give me all the kombucha. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. yeah. Got it. And, and so that's, you know, I, that you really got to scale it back to that. And, um, and within the HR world, yes, like there is absolute friction in the, in the initial discussion. It's similar to when organizations had on-site clinics in hospitals, like this is too much. When we explain, like we are coming in as that layer to protect you, you will not be dealing with the leaky toilet and a, a performance plan at the same time. We take that, we manage that, their placement, their rent, everything, all of that's taken care of. So you can focus on what you're really good at. Is it building engines? Is it teaching kids? Is it, you know, your personal, whatever it is, like focus on that, improve that, feed into that. We will take care of this. You will get similar to healthcare, a report out and dashboard of all the essentials that ensure that the benefit is working properly for your organization. But you don't need to know that we've had five noise complaints at Janie's apartment and that's causing a problem for Billy. 
we'll manage it. And so once we tell them that, it's kind of like, okay, so where's the contract? And uh, <laughs> let's do this thing because we need to, we realize we need this. We want it. Um, and then how can you get my CFO to sign off on this? You know, and, yep. and they're, they're jumping in the conversation, pumped about it too, because they're sure. spending a minimum of $35,000 a year per employee, not, not backfilled. And they're losing 10 to 15% of employees on average. Like I think it's 10% of, you know, natural attrition that happens every year. And since COVID that's going up a lot of money. Jarek, what about, uh, that was by the way, an incredible history lesson too. I mean, athlete, (laughs) historian, you got it all. Yeah. This team is incredible. (laughs) Um, but Jarek, what about, what about uh, employees like the millennials, the Gen Zs, yeah. Gen Alpha, maybe a little too soon to make an assessment there, but uh, they'll sure. be in the workforce <laughs> before we know it. Uh, but what, what do they want this? Yeah. Um, you know, so it, it's funny because uh, my brother, uh, my youngest brother, uh, I come from a big family, but my youngest brother is, you know, that Generation Z, right? And, um, you know, his relationship with work. Uh, ownership, um, housing um, is fundamentally different from, you know, any generation before them. I mean, I, I, you know, when we're having very candid conversations with, you know, business owners and, you know, I, I tell them, I say, hey, if you guys thought millennials were hard, wait till you see these Gen Z guys, right? <laughs> um, you know, they, they're willing to just completely lay it all down, you know, and I think a lot of it is, is because they have seen you know, us millennials, you know, go through the crucible to some extent, you know, um, the towers come down, I'm in high school, you know, um, I end up, yeah, you know, massively impactful to um, our experience as young Americans, right? We go to college, you know, we're trying to do things the right way. We come out into one of the greatest financial crises that this, you know, planet has ever seen, you know, and everyone that was a director got moved to you know, manager, everyone that was a manager got moved to associate. If you were an associate, you got moved to analyst. If you were trying to get that analyst job, you were off, you know, doing some something else, right? So you kind of lost five years there. Then, you know, you start to gain trying to accumulate assets. Meanwhile, the market goes on a massive run, but we have no jobs, no assets, you know what I mean? <laughs> um, so we can't really participate in some of these things. And lo and behold, you know, we get punched in the mouth of COVID as, um, you know, as we're having children. And the Gen Zs have largely sat back and saw this and said, yeah, uh, not for us. Right. Um, so they're far there. If their basic needs aren't being met, to Ali's point, you know, we call um, housing the fulcrum asset of life. Right. The asset that if you don't have everything else falls apart, doesn't matter. Right. If their basic needs aren't being met, you know, they're very willing to opt out for what would traditionally be seen a harder route. But for them, it's actually it's it's far more predictable. Right. And what you see is a lot of businesses with the ping pong tables and the nap rooms and some of these perks. They're just trying to reflect home. You know, these are things you would do at, at the house. So, you know, our argument is, is, you know, how about you just kind of go to, you know, first principles and say, well, just provide the house get rid of all of the fluff, you know, and you can have a better optimized workforce that's also incentivized and, you know, their mental wellness is in check. 
Yeah, and I, I just to piggyback on that, Derek, like we were talking with one of our, you know, kind of advisors and or, you know, just a confidant the other day and HR expert, just massive in that space. And, and he just came out and said, you know, the largest threat to the workforce, to employers and to Gen Z is housing. That is the mm. absolute largest threat right now. Our entire workforce is staring down the barrel of, of something major. And that's, so yes, Gen Z is, they are the workforce that is coming in. They are the workforce that are, are looking for those full-time professional jobs that are going to be, you know, working with us. And if they have to be 26 and living at home and with no outlook of where I, where they can go, where they can be placed, ever buying a home, starting a family, you lose community. Uh, you, you lose retention. You lose all of what we have fought so hard for, right. and um, so yeah, there's a, a large demand there. Correct. Amazing. Well, and they're willing big... to fight. Right? Last you were at the the lecture at MSU with the Airbnb um, CFO. I was. Yep, I was there. Yep. I'll tell you what, that generation's definitely willing to fight. There were a lot. Yeah, <laughs> there was. There was some, yeah, it's quite a quite a crowd. Yeah. anyway uh so i gotta ask kind of i got two more questions one of them is um well i always like to end on a fun personal question i got a good idea for that today i've been inspired by this conversation it's coming just wait but the first thing uh the the second to last question and and i'm actually inspired jerick i'm gonna call it i love the hat you're wearing right now oh yeah Our, our listeners can't see it but it says Bend the universe. Yes, it's sir. black hat, pink letters. I love it. Yes. If Anum, and so I want you both to answer this one if you're so inclined. Uh, if if Anum were to bend the universe, what would that look like? What would what what would a future future universe look like? Yeah, everyone that wants a home can have one. You know, we're yeah. not really focused on being a billion dollar company, but housing a billion people. You know, and just Powerful. getting back to you know, my story, um, bouncing around, you know, I tried to overlay those sacrifices my family made in today's kind of, you know, box, if you will. And it's impossible. I mean, I truly think to utilize that strategy and, you know, be able to have, you know, uh, six, you know, four kids effectively, you know, all end up going to college and living, you know, successful lives, um, with stable relationships. That's very difficult to achieve, you know, um, the, as they say, the math isn't mathing anymore. Right. Um, yeah. so, you know, if you ask me that question, if we've been the universe, as I said, we house a billion people and everyone that can be housed or would like to be housed is housed. Wow. Inc- very powerful vision. Incredible. Allie. Got to follow that one. Got to follow that up. Yeah, I know. It's always tough to follow And you can yeah, take it on yeah. any direction you want. It doesn't need to even be, you know. No, I, I think it's, it is that, um, it's, I think it's the, the relief valve. You said that earlier where, um, but in the sense of the relief valve for our, our society, for our people, um, you know, I, I was raised by a father who was, uh, a Mexican immigrant that, came over from Mexico as a teenager, not speaking English and was orphaned over there for many years, um, lived a tough, hard life. And 
our entire childhood, you know, when you get, when you're a teenager and you're getting these arguments, you know, that are just normal teenage arguments, but his, his the thing he would always come out and say is like, I put a roof over your head. Well, uh, that never uh, really hit me until I was a little bit older. And I was like, that was the most important thing in the world for him, a consistent roof over our head. And that to be able to take that stress and that relief off of our people so that we can all level up to be who we need to be and not have that stress if we can do that which i really believe that anim has this absolute capability to do that our, our whole society is going to level up right there's going to be way less tension way less frustration way less you know just fear in general um and and so it just Again, like what Derek's saying, what we're doing is something that we have the ability and I have the confidence that we will grow into something massive and large and it's going to be awesome, right? But it's going to happen because of the DNA of what we're doing and what we believe in and our, our vision and our mission. And, and one second, Les, can I pull on that thread? Yeah. Just really <laughs> yeah, quickly? you guys just keep keep giving me the chills. I'm going to go put on an adult <laughs> diaper no, here. No. <laughs> I mean, I'm just like, chill. I'm getting the chills so much. I'm like, uh, no, I mean, I, keep it coming, Jarek. Yeah. No, I mean, Ali, he, he, she tapped into something so amazing right there that, like, like let's put Anim and everything aside really quick. You know, we don't really get to know a lot of people for who they really are due to financial stress, right? Like that financial burden influences how people behave to such a degree. Economics, it's like number one. That, you know, when, you know, I've seen people in my family finally achieve financial freedom and that they become different people. And as happy as I am for them, at times it makes me sad because it's like, wow, all that time we spent, I never really got to know the new, the real you because we were so focused on getting by, right? So, you know, I think, you know, and just Ali kind of just pinged that in me that, you know, we want everyone to be their, their self, like who they're supposed to be, right? And it's very difficult to do that when you can't make ends meet, when you don't have a home. Right. So, you know, I think if you whittle everything away, that is really the heart of what we're we're trying to uncover with, mm-hmm. you know, and especially with the, the term bend the universe. Yeah. So powerful. I mean, I, bend may be I get the saying, but like you guys are you guys are going to wrap the universe around a telephone pole. Like, you're gonna, <laughs> oh. you're gonna, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right anyway sorry, was, oh, no yeah. pressure <laughs> yeah. um anyway uh, so last question the personal one i'd love for uh and i whoever wants to go first can just you know can go first but i would like each of you to use one word to describe the other <laughs> who wants to go first <laughs> i'll go first all right jarek what is just give it? me another 10 seconds to think about it no i'll go i humble and and that is really the ethos of this company humility uh mm-hmm. through humility we can be honest with each other um you know and i see ali uh as a very humble person 
And humble does not mean meek. It doesn't mean weak. It doesn't mean like, you know, um, feeble. It means like being comfortable with the fact that like searching for the truth, understanding that I may get hurt in the process, but I'm going to be honest about it, you know, and that is the number one thing I admire and I appreciate about Allie, her humility. Beautiful. Allie? Thank you, Derek. Um, that means a lot. Um, yeah, I, the first word that popped into my mind um, was loyal for Derek. Um, he, and, it, and not loyal to a fault, right? And then you can have that where you're blinded by loyalty. Um, but loyal in the sense of, you know, loyal to what is important to him, what we're building. Um, we have had plenty of opportunities to go off the vision just to make the buck and, and he won't. He's loyal to what is what we're doing. Um, loyal to me, you know, loyal to my family, which is massively important. Um, and, and loyal to anyone we bring on to the team or we're, or we're connected with. Um, he will, you know, our first LOI was um, with a really small firm up in Kalispell. And, you know, it's just like, we will fight for that. You know, it's the first conversation we had. It's like, cool, you could go get the massive organization, but it's the people that, that commit to Jared that he, he's going to fight for. Um, and having that loyalty is what brings in that, that safe space to know that you can, you can do the tough thing. Beautiful. Thank you. I appreciate that. I got to say, just we don't play favorites on Found of the Rockies, but (laughs) I'm not going to say it. But I mean, what what incredible people. What incredible people. Uh, I've just been so blessed to to spend this time with you on the episode. I think our our listeners will agree it's it's, it's a special one. But I will say one thing that as as I take a step back and I think about what you're doing, it's no surprise to me that this is special because if you think about, I never knew the story with Jessica and Allie and that's in them, them meeting like through being in the same community, through living together, growing up together. That's how the two of you met. Ironically, Allie and I both have, we have daughters. That's how we know each other, London and Hunter uh, from, from school days. Uh, And you know, when I think about it, community, the community that you're fostering, you're building and giving people a roof over their head and letting them then be homeowners and letting them be themselves. That's what Adam's all about. And that's what creates the sincere serendipity for authentic, real relationships. That's what it's all yeah. about. It's yeah. so fundamental to being human. I love it. And and I just, you know, today's today just reinforced that for me. So thank you. Thank you both no. for sharing. Thank you, Wes. For being on the yeah. podcast. And just to conclude, why don't you just uh, uh, let us let our listeners know where they can find more about you, each, and Anum online. Yeah, so, um, you know, Anum, first and foremost, uh, A-N-N-U-M, housing.com. You know, that's our website. We plan to go live in April, launching with our platform. And, you know, write us an email you know, talk to us. Um, we'll answer. It will be me and Allie that you'll be corresponding <laughs> with, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Terrific. Yeah. Well, thank yeah, you both, both so much. With that, um, our, the easiest way to like, if you want to shoot us an email and just get to know us or learn about what we're doing, it's info at animhousing.com. Um, we're not going to try to make you remember how to spell our names. 
So uh, just shoot that, that and it goes to both of us. So we'll be able to, we'll both see it. Amazing. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank cool. you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Found in the Rockies. You can find links in the show notes or go to nextfrontiercapital.com to get transcripts, links, and contact information for today's guests. If you like what you heard and want more, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to get notified as our new episodes drop every two weeks. We'll see you next time. Thank you.